I do want to thank our leaders. I've been um, working with them for the past three weeks and just kind of getting to see the behind the scenes of, of what they do, and their hearts do burn for for the church, for the Lord, and it's just, it's amazing to see what they do and, and, and how they give their time and, and their energy, and it's just awesome, and I thank you guys for what you do, and your wives, who are serving, <laughs> so, you know, they're awesome too, and, and, and this is, this is great, but, um, <clears throat> so yeah, I'm a little nervous, um, but I will um, just start out in prayer. So, Lord, we just, we thank you for who you are, God. Jesus, there is no one like you for what you've done, for dying on a cross for us, God, for opening up the way to yourself that we can be reconciled back to you. We thank you, Jesus, for who you are, and we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be in our midst, that you would stir our hearts that eternity that's been placed within us would be stirred, that Jesus would be magnified, that we would be able to see you clearer, God. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. <clears throat> okay, so Genesis, and I have notes, but I'm like nervous. So I'm going to be looking at my notes and looking up. But um, Genesis 1.1, I wanted to start there because the Bible starts there. And Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, as I thought about that statement, you look and you see in Genesis chapter 1, an unraveling of that. You know, he creates light, darkness. He creates the sea. And we see little snippets. He creates plants and he creates um, animals. And then he goes on to create humanity. Um, as we look around, as I, as I take a look around, I think God's creation, to me, is amazing. And there are some things that, in the, in the book of Psalms, it says in 33.6, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. So God spoke, and things were made. Everything we see is made by God. So this universe that we live in has been spoken into existence by God. You look up and you see stars in the sky, and they have been created. They have been made by God. There's millions and millions and billions of stars just alone in our galaxy. We live on the galaxy called Milky Way. And then there's 100 million other galaxies apart from our own galaxy. And we're on this little planet called Earth, somewhere in the universe where we're held down by gravity. I mean, to me, that's just, the, and we're spinning. We're, we're, the Earth is moving, the sun is going around the Earth, and we're held down by gravity, yet we're somewhere in outer space, and we're like this, this big. We're just super, super small. And so when I look at the universe, and then I think, man, God breathed this into existence. He spoke and it was made. It says that, and there's billions and billions and millions and millions of stars, but it says that he has them all named. Every single one of them, he calls them by name and he has them counted. What kind of mind does that take? Who, who are we talking about? 
that can name the stars and count them. To me, that's amazing. And then then I looked up a crazy little fact. Um, 70% of the earth that we live in is ocean. So 70% is ocean. And then an even crazier fact is that 94% of life on earth is aquatic, meaning we're like 4%. (laughs) 70% ocean. And then Psalms 95 says, in his hand are the deep places of the earth. The heights of the hills are also his. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. 70% of the planet is ocean. We've only explored 5% of it. And in that 5%, we've found over a million species of animals. And all of this, no big deal, are in his hand. Some of his creatures, you look a little bit further in Genesis and you kind of read through it and it's like he created all the animals. He created all the animals. I mean, we, we set up zoos to go and check these animals out. We set up zoos so we could see how the monkeys, you know, talk to each other or whatever. How the elephant moves and how the flamingo does whatever it does with its, you know, I don't know all these things, but the giraffe and its neck. And we go and we see these things, and he created these things. An octopus has three hearts, and the color of its blood is blue. (laughs) The heart of a blue whale is the size of a small car. Small car. Oysters can change from one gender to another and back depending on which is best for mating. These are just a few things where when we look at the creation, we can see the hand of God. We can see something that speaks of something greater than us. We're in awe of it. We look at the stars and they speak of somebody greater than us. We look at the animals and we're like, oh, wow. And yet he created both the stars, has named, has numbered, and he created the animals. Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. And the firmament show his handiwork. Day unto day they utter speech, and night unto night they reveal knowledge. There's no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out throughout all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. Creation speaks. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that God has placed eternity in man's heart. This same God who created the heavens and the earth, who created all these animals, who created the stars, has placed eternity 
in each of our hearts. A longing for something beyond the temporary. A longing for something eternal. A longing ultimately for him. When it says that the creation speaks, it speaks of a creator. It points to somebody that can fulfill that longing within our hearts. People have tried many ways, drugs, alcohol, sex, relationships. You, I mean, the list goes on. Money, power, fame. Anything that this world has to offer will leave you empty, will leave you <laughs> beyond empty. I mean, we, some of us in this room know, know what it is what it feels like to, to long for something greater and think we found it in something and then it leaves us unsatisfied. And it's the same thing. When we look at creation, it points us to the creator. It points us to the eternal one that can only satisfy our hearts. C.S. Lewis had a quote and it said, he said, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy. The only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. I was made for another world. Eternity in our hearts can only be satisfied by the eternal one. Romans 1.20 says that, I'm going to just go to it real quick because I don't have it memorized. But it says that since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Creation leaves us without excuse. Because it points to, to a greater reality. It points to somebody greater, which is God. He's the, uh, he breathed these things into play. He, he, out of his mouth, these things came. In his hand, he holds the world. And it points to him. And it leaves us without excuse. Eternity in our hearts points to the fact that we will live forever. Everybody in this room has one thing in common, and that's you're going to die. I'm going to die. We're all going to face death. Now, most people think that death is ceasing to exist, but death doesn't mean ceasing to exist. When, when you die, you will be separated from this body. Death is separation. I don't know if anybody's like me, but sometimes when I'm at home and I look into the mirror, I'm like, I'm in there. <laughs> I, just, I look right at myself and I'm like, this is, this is, but, or even when you lay down in your bed at night and you close your eyes, that person inside is, is it's like, you know, we're in this shell. We're in, we're not, this isn't it. The person that's within is it. So death is separation. 
When I physically die, I will come out of this body and I will continue to live on forever. That person is, I will continue to live on forever. And something within us kind of testifies to that because eternity has been placed in our hearts. Now, Adam and Eve, everybody knows the story about Adam and Eve, right? Most people. Okay. Adam, God tells Adam, don't eat the apple because why? You will die. He eats the apple, he's alive, physically. So what was meant? If it's separation, if death means separation, then ultimately God was saying, hey, you're in perfect fellowship with me. You're connected to me. We have a relationship right now. If you eat and you allow sin to come, that will separate us. You will die spiritually. And that's what happened. So now we're all born into this world, physically alive, spiritually dead, separated from God. Every single one of us was. The only way that that separation can be taken care of, the Romans says that the wages of sin, we have sin within us, it separates us from God. The wages of sin is death. It's separation. That's the wages of sin. That's the price that needs to be paid. This is where Jesus steps in. Jesus came, lived the perfect life, dies on a cross, physically dies, and is separated from God, where he cries out, Father, why have you forsaken me? So he, he has identified both in a physical death and in a spiritual death. And in that moment, the wrath of God was poured out on him. He became sin. The wrath of God was poured out on him. And this is our way to step in and say, okay, Jesus, you, we can look at this and say he paid the price for sin and he offers us eternal life. He offers us life. We have death, which is separation. God offers us eternal life, which is connection. John 16 says this is eternal life, that you may know me. Jesus paid the price for sin that separated you from God in order that you would be reconciled back to him. Eternal life is knowing him. Eternal life is being connected back to God, recognizing we're sinners, recognizing that the longing can't be satisfied anywhere else, and looking at the cross and saying the price has been paid and following Jesus who has eternal life, who can bring us and reconcile us back to God the Father, the creator, eternity in our hearts, satisfied once again. But when, when we're reconciled, you know, when we look at the cross and we're reconciled, we're, we're connected back together to God. 
it's not just God and creation, but it's Father and children. We've been reconciled back to our Father, and we're now children of God. Not just anybody. We're children. The Bible says that we were children of wrath before, children of disobedience. The wrath of God was, we, I mean, our destiny was ultimate separation from God. We were going to enter into eternity, ultimately separate. Some people think hell is just like, oh, God is, you know, creating this place. He's just going to send people to it. No, hell is void of the presence of God. If you're separated from God now and you step into eternity, he's not, he's not there. He, that's ultimate separation. We need to be connected to him. So when we do step into eternity, we're where he is. Heaven is where he is. It's not just the place that we're going to go to. It's where he, home, where's home? You know, people, people make this comment. Home is where some of the, your family is. It doesn't matter about a building. It's where the people are. It's the same thing. Where's home? Where's heaven? It's where God is. What is hell? It's a place void of God. And we have a decision to make where we look at the cross and we have to make a decision. Am I going to believe in what he did? And receive the free gift of eternal life that, that reconciles me back to God? Or am I going to reject it and, and live my own life, walk according to my will? Because once we do accept it, as children to a father, we must do his will. And that's, that's how we give up our lives. We give up our lives and say yes to God. Our lives weren't didn't satisfy anyways. We didn't have purpose before God. So when we say yes, we begin to do the, the Father's will. We're children of God. John says, we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. Peter says we have an inheritance that's incorruptible, undefiled. It does not fade away. It's eternal. This, this is our hope. So as children of God, we have an inheritance. Just like anybody else would from a father here, an earthly father. You inherit what your father has. That's the same thing with God the Father. We have an inheritance to look forward to. An eternal inheritance to look forward to one that won't fade that's why we can right now not be so focused on the temporal things paul says the th the, the, we live by the things that we don't see not the things that we do see because the things that we do see are temporal they'll fade away and the things that we don't see are eternal they're forever and ever and ever so we use our resources, our money. Money's a big one. We use our money in light of eternity. You're not going to hold on to it. You're not going to be able to keep it and bring it with you. People, people work their whole lives for retirements. You're going to die, and it's not going to come with you. Even other things, we have to live in light of eternity. You're going to go, we're going to all go through things because there's still sin. The devil's still here. 
We've been given the Holy Spirit because we believe in the cross of Jesus. So we've been given the Holy Spirit. It's our future hope. It's the inheritance. It's, it's, our, uh, it's the guarantee of a future hope. We've been given the Spirit of God that cries out, Abba, Father. We know we're God's children, okay? We know we have a future hope. But here, now, there's still sin. There's still temptation. There's still the devil. There's still things we're going to go through. And the only way to, to deal with these things is to keep our eyes on the future. This is going to be gone. People are going to offend you. People are going to betray you. People are going to pass away in your family. Things are going to happen. But if we can look beyond the temporal and see into the eternal, <laughs> then out of that place, things become, Paul says that it's, um, uh, what does he say? A light affliction. It's, it's, it's not momentary and light affliction in comparison to what we're going to get. I mean, new bodies. I mean, I think about this all the time. I'm like, are we going to fly? <laughs> this is the future. This is why we could say like, you know, these little things that bother us, these little things that people do or these things that we go, there's, now there's things that we go through that are weighty, but the little things, we should just, those things shouldn't even, in light of what we're going to face, even if we're wronged, even if things happen, even if, even if bad things happen to you and you're like, man, this person died, it was unjust, justice will be, comes in eternity. God will judge things. Things will be panned out. Everything will, will you know, work itself out in eternity. So we can live unoffended, un, un, you know, we could get over certain things because we can see that in the future all these things will ta be taken care of. So that's why Jesus says, in the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So yes, we'll have troubles, we'll have tribulations. But if we can raise our eyes and see what's to come, we can endure it in an in a, in a easier way. There's, there's a guy that I read about when I was looking, you know, at, at eternity and... <clears throat> People easily, you know, the, Jesus has a high call, and he says, give up your life in order to follow me. You can't hold on to this life and follow God. You have, to, you have to let go of it. He says, he who loses his life will gain it. And he who gains, or he who holds on to his life will lose it. So he calls us to give up our lives, our will, and take on his, even here on earth. This is the call. But we need an eternal perspective because it's not easy to do that. Paul even says, you guys are fools. You guys are idiots if there's no eternity, the way that you're living right now. It is. It sounds dumb to be like, I'm going to give up my life. I'm going to give up what I want to do. 
But if there's something greater, you'll do it. And in comparison to the greater, you'll do it. You'll give it up easier. So the cost, this is, there's a cost to this also. We have to give up our lives. But there's an eternal life. And, and, and these people, there's martyrs. For us, it's like here in America, we don't, I mean, what do we really go through? Like somebody cuts us off and we have to like hold our tongue. I mean, these are, these are things in America that we kind of go through. People in other countries are dying for the name of Jesus because they have eternal perspectives. They're willing to even lay their physical lives down in order for the name of Jesus to be glorified on earth because they know that they have rewards waiting in heaven. They know what's to come so they can easily lay themselves down. And I'm going to end with a story of a man who did give himself his life. And we're all called to be to be martyrs, but doesn't mean that we're going to physically give our lives, but we're all called to die to ourselves. Every single one of us is called to be a living martyr, dying to ourselves, taking hold of the will of the Father, and, and ultimately that's the best thing for our lives anyways. He's got an overarching plan, which I'm learning more and more about at FIRE, but he's got an overarching plan, and in our generation, we have the opportunity to step into it and go along with the plan of God. Or we don't. It's up to us. There is a, a man named Polycarp. Some of us probably already know him, but he, uh, <coughs> this is, I'll just read this story. It says, the Bishop Polycarp entered the arena under armed guard the stands were filled with an angry, shouting mob. Suddenly, a voice from heaven spoke to the bishop, saying, Be strong, Polycarp. Despite the noise from the crowd, many of those who stood nearby also heard the heavenly voice. Once inside the arena, the soldiers brought Polycarp before the Roman proconsul. The proconsul tried to get Polycarp to deny Jesus Christ, but Polycarp stood firm. 86 years I've served the Lord Jesus Christ, and he never once wronged me. How can I blaspheme my king who has saved me? Even after threats of wild beasts and fire, Polycarp refused to deny Jesus. Bring on the beasts or the fire or whatever you choose. You shall not move me to deny Christ, my Lord and my Savior. The crowd demanded that Polycarp be burned alive. Immediately, Dry wood was brought out and heaped in the center of the arena for a bonfire. When they were about to nail him to the stake, Polycarp said, Leave me as I am. He who gives me strength to endure the fire will enable me to remain still within the fire. They agreed to this and simply tied his hands behind his back with a rope. The officers lit the fire. The flames rose high above his body, but miraculously he was not burned. Since the fire did not hurt Polycarp, the executioner was ordered to stab him with a sword. As soon as he did, so much blood flowed from the wound that it put the fire out. He ended up dying, but he didn't end up denying Jesus in the moment because he saw a greater reality. And we too, as believers of Jesus, 
need to stay in that place where no matter what we're going through, we need to look beyond the here and now, the temporary, into the eternal. And whether that's if you don't know Jesus and you have that longing within your heart, then he's the only one that can satisfy it. And then if you do, we need every day to stir our hearts with the reality of eternity, that he's coming back. I mean, he's co- and he's going to judge us for what we've done in this body. As children of God, we're responsible now. The good, the bad, and then into forever we step. And so if you don't know Jesus and you, you feel that longing in your heart and you want to know him, then we can, if you can come up front, we can pray for you. Or if you feel like, I know Jesus, but man, my eternal perspective has just been fuzzy, blurry. I've just been so focused on my situation, on the here and now. We can pray for you also. All right. <laughs> I don't know how to. Praise God. Let's all stand.